If you can't wait a whole month for our next episode, you can join our Patreon membership for early releases and exclusive content for only $5 a month at patreon.com slash transgender school. And you can rent our 90-minute course, Transgender Allyship 101, where we reenact my coming out and teach you how to be a true ally to any trans person in your life at vimeo.com slash on demand slash trans ally. Welcome to the Transgender School podcast, where we talk about diverse LGBTQ identities and experiences so that we can all be better allies and advocates. I'm Bridget. My daughter Jackie came out as a transgender woman when she was 19. I was totally unprepared, but I've learned a lot since then. When I came to terms with my identity, I realized that I needed to transition, but coming out was very stressful. Now I want to help other trans people navigate their own experiences. So Ted, who would you like to hear from next? I'm sure we want to hear from everybody, but who who do you want to call on? Let's go to Christian. Great. So my name is Christian Zilovitz, and like I said earlier, average suburban trans man with a wife and two kids and a picket fence that keeps the dogs from killing people. And I look like my ex-fiance who I almost married the first time. Balding, pudgy, furry, and and I often wear, so I wear at least one earring, if not two or more. And I have like seven holes. And a lot of that comes from coming out the first time and claiming my space. And I wear rainbows and I'm wearing a rainbow type, my Pride School Atlanta shirt. And I try to be visible because it's important to me. Because I was told it's not okay to be out. And if my, that's how part of my journey of coming out publicly started. And when I think of family, I said to this woman, I said, my child, my children are here. I'm not going to have my children be ashamed of who they are and who their family is. Now, I transitioned before my children were born. And I know a lot of us whose stories are told, are they're not told from that perspective. And so when my first was born, I'd already been on testosterone for two years, I think, just about two years. And so she got to say, why doesn't your body look like the other men in the Y locker room? And I just said, well, everybody's body's different. And then continuing to grow her understanding of basically she's got two moms, but she's got a mom and a dad. And we joke in our family. And I think for a lot of us, in my family at least, I don't know about you all, but we have to get back to the laughter. And I don't want a mom and a dad. I want 19 moms Honey, you have two moms. You just you have two moms and you have a mom and a dad. So and my kids are just raised and they're just who they are and they are naturally affirming. And my wife is a femme lesbian, has always had to claim her space as a femme lesbian, and she's a fierce redhead from Chicago, and she will say, as a femme, blah, 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 blah. 
she's reclaimed pink and especially when our daughter was born. And it's fun watching all of us reclaim pink back and forth in our family because yes, color knows no gender, but color does in a lot of ways in our culture, of course. And what you wear and how you wear your gender is one of the things I have to say growing up, my parents generally accepted how I wore my gender as a tomboy. And I grew up in the late 70s. I was born in 1970. So there was no talk about trans kids and trans boys, trans men back then, at least not in suburban New Jersey. And it was okay for me to be a tomboy, except my mom would try to put me in the the somewhat feminine stuff to take me to church three times a year. And I come from a half Italian, half Hungarian family and Catholic on both sides, but not so devout Catholic that anybody who came into our realm was basically accepted. My mom had a gay cousin who died of AIDS back when, 1983. And when I came out and my mom's mom, my grandma G no matter who anybody brought home, she accepted them. And I know that's not necessarily the mom she was, <laughs> but as a grandmother, she was amazing. And when I transitioned, my parents did good cop, bad cop. And like Lana was saying, it took my mom the longest time to come around, surprisingly. And she's always been one of my biggest advocates and then when we found out we were pregnant, that my wife was pregnant with our oldest, we had tried nine times and failed. And then the 10th time we used a different donor and my wife got pregnant immediately. And I was calling my mom a month later to tell her that my wife was pregnant and she had been excited for us in this journey. And this was March and I... As I was dialing the phone, this is a, such an important story to, to share because I just left their house. My mom, my phone rang and it was my mom saying, we don't want to see you when you come home to New Jersey next month. And we don't know when we're going to be able to see you again. We're just, you know, they're having, we're having too hard of a time with your transition, basically is what they said. And I just remember my wife and I talked about this the other day because we did another one of these talks for the book last week. And I said, I, she said she still remembers where I was standing in the kitchen at the bar when that phone call happened. I was dialing the phone to call my mom and my phone rang. And that is the universe. And because of transphobia, because of society and because of the way the, for me, it's like the family disease of alcoholism, how it runs in my family is the family side of worrying what everybody thinks about you, especially as a parent. And they missed our wedding. They missed six months of the pregnancy. They missed all these hallmarks. And it was okay in the long run. Because six months later, my mom reached out and said, I'm ready to talk. And we got on the phone and she said, I don't know what to tell people. And I said, Ma, I'm growing a beard. <laughs> I'm, my voice is changing. 
I don't know what to tell people. And at that moment, so much healed. Because that's so much what kills our relationships and our families is parents don't know what to tell other people who have no connection to your life anymore. Even if it's grandparents, the neighbors, I don't know what to tell the neighbors when they say, how's Chris? Chris is fine. That's all you have to say. People who I I went to school with 15, 20 years ago, my aunts and uncles, my aunts and uncles could care less but I don't live in my mother's skin and having my grandmother for her mom is different from that woman being my grandmother. And I learned so much in that time frame. I was able to be honest with my grandmother too, about the fact that my parents weren't talking with me and she, she was blind and she saw everything. And she said on that visit, she said, are you going to see your parents this visit? Not when, why else would she ask, are you going to see your parents? And she knew her daughter well enough. And my grandmother lived long enough for my daughter to be born. And she never got to meet her. So this is 14 years later. And my kids are at camp together for the first time. And the first thing I did was I called my mom, who's been dealing with cancer. My only brother died of a heart attack last August. And I haven't seen my folks since. And I called my mom and I said, I want to come down. She said, sure, get on down here. And so I drove the 500 miles to my parents and I spent 48 hours with them. And we went out, we went out in public long ago. We didn't go out in public and we had a great time and they took pictures with me and they love my children as their grandchildren. and. And I left them a note in my own, God forbid, handwriting saying thank you for this amazing visit because all I really wanted the first time I came out and when they cut off contact the first time and then the second time with transition, I said, all I want to do is sit on the couch and watch TV, watch golf, play golf, go to dinner, have some meals together. And that's all I crave from my parents. I don't need the acceptance anymore. But that time with them is so precious just to do the average things we always did. But it's not, I told them in this letter, I said, it's not lost on me, all the journeys we've been on. And they accepted any crazy fool I brought home, including the alcoholic husband and the crazy ex-partner and all these people and they welcome my family into their home. My brother died not knowing his nieces because of his transphobia. And he died barely knowing his own daughter because of his homophobia. And my mom's family and my dad's family, all my cousins and aunts and uncles, they call me Christian. I was always Chris or Chrissy because I was born Christine. But they call me Christian and they, these seemingly semi-conservative yet liberal people, they're still a part of my life. And I had to break through that fear of what they thought of me as well. And it was something I learned through this process of 
if you're afraid to come out to somebody so you don't talk to them, you're afraid to tell your parents. If you're afraid to tell your siblings and the aunts and uncles and the cousins and the grandparents about your child, this is for the parents out there. If you're not talking to them, then you don't have a relationship with them. So there's nothing to lose. And so go ahead and tell them and you'll either keep the relationship or lose it as opposed to continuing to have nothing. And that was a crystallizing moment for me as well. And I am so grateful to know that I left my parents with smiles as my mom heads off to an infusion and I'm going home to my wife and kids and my kids coming from a Methodist camp and my baby is away at camp for the first time and we haven't gotten the call. And that's my suburban, average, boring life. And I think that's what doing the book, call this my long version, that's what doing this book continues to cement for me. And what I want people to get out of this is we have lives. We just have lives like everybody else. And when you see somebody walking down the street, a lot of us recognize each other, but then we don't. But if we see each other at the Bucky's restroom, another trans guy was in the restroom with me just washing his hands, but it's not lost on me that how much we've done to stand in that space and just wash our hands at a Bucky's drive gas station place. But we're all around you. And visibility as parents, visibility as trans people in our community, we're in this very suburban community now, and my wife and I claim our space. And guess what? Other parents respond and say, thank you. I have a shirt that says the trans person, the, the scary trans person the media warned you about. And I can't tell you how many people at this last swim meet said thank you for your visibility. And my wife has one of those new shirts that says, say gay everybody's loved. It's basically the anti-DeSantis t-shirt. And how many average people came up to her and said, I love your t-shirt. And the gentleman who said, we are in this together. And we need all of those people reading this book to see our stories and know that we are everywhere. Wherever we're walking among you in the grocery store and everything. And, and more of us are born every day. And wouldn't it be nice to know that they can receive healthcare? And I think no matter what, no matter what the happens with the laws, we will always find ways to care for our children and, and care for each other. It'll be hard, but we will always find ways around all that BS. So no matter what they do, we're not going anywhere. And I know I kind of got on my, the long version there. But I think it's so important. These stories were written two years ago, practically, and our children have grown somewhat and we have grown and, and my mom didn't have cancer two years ago. And my brother hadn't died when I, when we wrote this. And it's all very surreal to be sitting here with people I never would have met otherwise had I not accepted my own fate of you'll be okay no matter what skin you're in. And so. I have 12-step family. I have family by choice. I have my own family. I have my biological family. I have my work families. 
And things are better than they used to be in a lot of ways, employment-wise, even in the South. But I, I think we have to keep picking up family everywhere we go because we do hit these dips, especially for the new parents of parents with newly trans kids. We have to continue to be visible for them so they can find us. So I'm grateful for the book. And that's enough of me probably for the whole thing. But thank you so much. I love you all. Thank you, thank Christian. Thank you, Christian. Oh, there's thank the you. picture that's in the exhibit. Oh, beautiful. And so that's Zoe on the left and Emma in the middle. And that's our little suburban fireplace. Beautiful. Yeah, if you're not watching this on YouTube, you really should because Peggy's been so kind to show us pictures from the book on the in the Zoom meeting that we're in of all the folks we're talking to and their family, their lovely family family members. Oh, Christian, that was perfect. You you shared your story and you shared so many key points for everyone here and so many more who will be listening and hopefully be reading the book as well. Thank you for that. So let's all just take a breath. Woo. I see emotion in all of us as we're listening to each other and it impacts us all in a variety of ways and touches us all. And there's relatability for, for all of us in different ways and to different parts of each story. One thing that I know keeps striking me is the transition is when someone transitions and is in a relationship already, as you were a Christian and Heather identifying and still identifying as a lesbian, very proudly and out, as you said, yet the love that you two shared transcended that any kind of identification with a sexual orientation that had to be fixed or that couldn't be somehow seen as fluid or adaptable in the face of already being in love with someone who's now going to be transitioning. Even if you've, you identify as a lesbian, you've never been with a man or any. So I, I think this is really important. I, I want to make sure people take away that many couples stay together regardless of their identification, regardless of uh, one of those partners transitioning. So your story and many of the stories in the book exemplify this in a beautiful way that love transcends all of that. And actually, Bridget, can I tap into that real quick? Yeah. And I want to make a point of clarification because this was really important in our story. When my wife and I met, we liked each other and then we backed off because we weren't ready for a relationship. So I was the butch girl she was dreaming of. And then <laughs> and she wanted to meet when she went to Seattle. And then we liked, liked each other. And here we were like 36 years old. And I had a month into my knowing I was trans, I had to come to her and say, And that was the scariest one was to tell her that I was transitioning because she's a lesbian. Right. Or even I would I would just add that, Ted, although you didn't keep the same partner, they live in a a community across the green from each other. And so that the kids were able to go back and forth. And there was a great deal of support of keeping the kids safe and loved and and interconnected as well with the other community members. So I, I thought that was part of my kind of a, the astonishing story that I heard when I went and visited Ted and it's five kids, right? There are five of them. 
all of whom you gave birth to and and then living in a support of a real a, a chosen community who had to go through their own changes as you moved across across the green yeah and i mean the person i live with was still was still together so there's there's also on the list of of couples that make it of course it's complicated there's a lot to say about that one but but i remember actually re- i think i think i asked somebody somebody i don't think there are statistics on this of um, how many couples make it through transition i think it looked really really bleak from what i heard mm-hmm. but maybe it's also just getting more like i don't know maybe there's something shifting there because i'm i'm not as pessimistic as i as i was made to be by hearing about it i think that many of the stories in the book exemplify that it's becoming more common people are seeing it as more possible i've heard many many stories of people preparing to have that conversation with their partner and hoping that their partner will want to stay with them and finding more and more that that is the case and so i'm i'm really happy that people are being exposed to more stories that can serve as models for this when i told my lesbian love that i was transitioning she sat with me for 4 hours and i said i don't know what this means for us because i didn't know any families who looked like us any couples who were a trans man with a lesbian and what i found out later was that there's a lot of us and what what she said was you're my special man and she would never be with a cisgender guy for life especially but she's with me and we claim that space i'm a queer trans man she's a femme lesbian and we're married and we have and i'm a dad i identify as a dad and a husband and she's the mom and the wife and that's just who we are and we just keep claiming that space so she has walked every ounce of my transition other than one month with me through just about every single coming out and everything top surgery hormones hysterectomy and everything and so it's been a very wild ride to say the least Thank you for sharing that Christian. I love the way it challenges people's categories and ideas about where people fit and and we need to open that all up and understand it's a it's a beautiful rainbow and there's just no putting anybody in any kind of boxes anymore. And Joseph and Tamira, your story exemplifies that as well. So it's I think a good segue into we'd love to hear from you. Well, we we do have an epic epic romantic love story but you're going to have to go to the book to read it actually. <laughs> but actually I want to talk about being the mom of a trans kid because Ryan's in the book and one of the things he brought up is that uh we were a little rocky in the beginning and we have a really fabulous relationship now uh, Ryan and I have always been incredibly close and his his transition was the one big bump in our relationship and part of that was my attachment i was this lesbian feminist my attachments to the mythos of having a daughter i could pass this 
my crapola onto. Yep, there's my handsome son who who has a mustache fan club in the Mama Bears group. Yeah, it's kind of embarrassing, <laughs> but one thing I wanted I want to say about peer support now and and how important it was was that in our family because I was a social worker and my partner at the time was also a social worker, my lesbian wife. And we always talk about feelings in our family. We talked about feelings and fears and all of these things. And when my son came out as trans, I didn't recognize that it wasn't appropriate for me to talk about my fears with him. We ever in our entire family, we had always worked through everything together in this one place is where I should have been doing my work outside of my son's ability to process me along with his own transition which is really huge and this is why peer support for us is so incredibly important not just for families to have a place to talk about all of those fears and the things that go along with the family when when a child or a husband or a spouse transitions but also to keep families together because we also work with significant others and what I can tell you through work with significant others of trans folks is that a little bit of support keeps the families together. That's really important. So as a mom, being a queer mom, I always had a lot of queer kids in my house. I was a foster mom and, and typically ended up with the kids that were at the, at the end of their foster journey, which really meant that every other family had rejected them because they were somehow queer or trans. And even then I wasn't ready for my own kid to come out. So it's important in those journeys that understand that even the most supportive parents sometimes had a blip. And I talk about my blip in the book. The funniest thing for me was that it was one of my kids cosplay friends that that actually went to ryan and said hey your mom's not your adversary she's never been anyone's adversary and you got to give these older women time hmm. yeah. well this old woman was like in your 30s at that point <laughs> but but yeah but I, I've done a lot of a lot of work in the trans community now. Of course, Ryan and I are we're fabulous. We're right back to being fabulous. The child that terrified me at age fourteen is about to turn twenty nine. I think next year when they turn thirty, I'm just going to expire. <laughs> that's how that's going to work. He is the most fabulously hairy queer. Trans guy, I adore, and that's that's the thing is that, and and all of my dreams about worrying about raising a uh, proper feminist is that my son is actually a better feminist than I am. This is my girl. This is my this is my baby. Oh, <laughs> beautiful! Yeah. yeah, I think the most important thing about this book is that it humanizes us, mm-hmm. and we can cannot be humanized enough right now because when we are made a straw man, a whipping boy, 
and a whipping person all around. Mm-hmm. It's because these people, for the most part, had never have never met us. Mm-hmm. And so our families don't differ that much from one to the other, whether our families are biological or whether our families are chosen, whether our families are old or young. We've been doing peer support groups for years and years, thousands and thousands, dozens and dozens of people. What I found to be true is there's not that much difference from what I tell you about my family. Youngest of six people, working class, my dad was We hear these things over and over and over. Stories never get old to me because the more I hear these things, the more I know that I can respond with responses that work and have resonance. When I hear a 19-year-old say, I don't think my brother will ever accept me, I'm able to say, well, my mountain man, hillbilly brother, finally called me by my name, Joseph, just last year. Because that's true. And he said he would never call me by my name. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes us being able to advocate for ourselves, not always argue, not always educate, not always be the loudest voice in the room, but just be persistent, be who we are, be our authentic selves, keep being consistent, persistent, and insistent, and eventually come around when they want. Our families will fall in line or they won't. Our, and so much of us who are from the South, our families are large and sometimes scrambled and sometimes complex. And they'll fall into place. We, Tam and I, had the first ever trans community backyard picnic oh, yeah. last weekend on July 1st. It was because June wasn't long enough of a month to celebrate pride so we decided to make it one day longer and so we had it in our backyard here there's never been anything like it in the region well region being high point greensboro winston-salem and we had over 40 people show up some of whom are my family and old friends if my whole family had shown up there wouldn't have been room but we had had a family reunion the previous weekend but anyway get to the point <laughs> and Tam elbows me when I need to get to the point. That's how I know. And so <laughs> I'm a suffering man. I cannot get to the point. So we had ages five to eighty-two here. We had, I would say, I would say about sixty forty trans and non-binary versus allies here. And we had so much food that we're still eating it. And I think today is Friday. It was absolutely amazing. I wish all of you could have been here. We're going to keep doing it. And everybody left happy. Everybody left with leftovers. But more more importantly, everybody left with an incredible feeling of community and, of family. and safety and family that they felt they were able to meet allies, people who, who just accepted them and and to meet each other and and so to have 
have that community and be able to have this gathering of people breaking bread together was incredibly powerful for everybody. And the feedback I'm getting consistently from people outside of requests for my recipe for peach cobbler <laughs> is, is that this is the community they were searching for. They want the normalcy of backyard barbecues. Because that's what you grew up with. We had a 20-something say, I didn't know old people liked us. I mean, we, we had a bunch of old people here. <laughs> I mean, so it was great. It was really a great time. From our point of view, it lasted days. From their point of view, it lasted several hours. So it was a great time. We'll do it again. Whatever Saturday falls closest to July 1st, you're all welcome. <laughs> we'll make room. <laughs> and the rest and the rest of our story, you will have to read in the, in the book. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. You've definitely enticed us. I think we got the perfect mix of like little tidbits from the book, but not a lot. We got a lot more, which is really even better about what's going on now and how things have changed and more about your story so that people will really want to go back to the book. Well, I did mention that. Great picture pertinent to the book and rhyme and scrubs there is that ran a nonprofit for transitioning immigrant women from uh, the Northern Triangle countries, which is now in the hands of trans queer Pueblo in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, where Tam is from and where I lived for 28 years. And that's key to our, how we even met each other. But you have to read the book to know more about that and how to get involved in that. We'd love to have you. There we go. There we go. Yeah, each of you in your own ways is doing so much advocacy work. So I really want people to read the book as well to learn about the work that you do in the world as as advocates, as really working to change things for trans folks. All of each of you are doing that for trans and non-binary folks. Let's see. So we got a little taste of everybody's story. There's so much more. Read the book. Go to the exhibit if there's one near you. Check out the website. I will. We should probably turn it back to Peggy for a minute because I'm sure everyone listening or watching is wondering, where can I find more? Where can I get the book? How can I find out about exhibits and more of the work that everybody's doing? Sure. I'm happy to talk about that. In fact, I was just going to show one other picture, tell you who this is. This is (laughs) Senator McBride, who's a state senator in uh, Delaware, who just announced a run for Congress, the United States Congress, as the first, I believe, openly trans person running such a race. So everybody out there, support, send funds, do everything we can to get a trans, an amazing, brilliant trans woman into our United States Congress where she is going to be a dynamo, not just for trans people, but health care, family leave. She is a representative of, of all the causes I think probably all your listeners believe in and will also help fight the transphobia that has infected our government around the country. As far as everybody's story, I mean, we, we have such, each person, you know, here we have physician's assistant. We have a social worker. Lana, I believe you call yourself a beauty influencer for good reasons. (laughs) You've influenced me. (laughs) 
though I think I need your personal one-on-one care. (laughs) Christian as an educator in schools and Ted doing your social justice work in community and all the other things that you do with your children and your advocacy for them as, as a wonderful parent. To bring the exhibit or to, to find the book, you can go to any bookstore, order it, order it at every library. Because if you ask a library to have a book, they have to order it, apparently, anywhere, I think, anywhere nowadays. You can, I mean, I prefer independent bookstores, which you can order through us as well. I mean, through, uh, there's a link I can give you in the chat. If you get it on Amazon, if you want to support Jeff Bezos, even if you don't get it there, if you review it there, every single person here I've been telling, tell all your friends who love the book to review it because that pushes it up in its visibility. To go to our website, it's just familydiversityprojects with an S dot org, www.family.org familydiversityprojects.org. And that will show you, lead you to write to me because right now we, it's, it's basically I do everything. So except ship the boxes, then I can work with anybody. It's very easy to bring the exhibit. And, and it's something that we just had to make four copies of it. So, because there's so much at the moment demand P flag, which is one of our co-sponsors of this book, Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays, and should be T, trans people everywhere, they have sent out the word to all their PFLAG groups about the exhibit. So suddenly I was getting emails constantly. And so we're booking through a lot of PFLAG sponsorship. But anybody can bring it. Anybody can just say, I want to bring this to my school, go to the school, go to the principal, Go to the college, the diversity, inclusion, equity offices, your workplace and corporation. I mean, some some of our other exhibits, Love Makes a Family, for an example, or, or we have one on Building Bridges, Portraits of Immigrants and Refugees that has a bunch of asylum-seeking LGBT people in it. That one, I mean, they're all incredible. I have to say, I mean, and so I would just urge you to look at the website, reach out to to me, to us at familydiversityprojects.gmail.com right through the website. And I will just had a conversation today with library director in Memphis, Tennessee, who's going to bring actually in this case, the building bridges exhibit to two major libraries. And I'm sure we'll get is very intrigued with authentic cells. However, right now in Tennessee, probably the libraries would get shut down, but that doesn't mean forever. So getting one in there and those LGBT asylum seekers who are in that exhibit will be a first step. I encourage people. And again, like I said at the beginning, if people have the funds, you know, the book is not very expensive. It's about $20, but that can be expensive for a lot of people. If you can give that as a gift to, to many, many people, that would be fantastic. I've been giving them out whenever I just taught a teen meditation retreat and there was a non-binary 16 year old in my group 
So I showed her. She's like, can I have one? Of course. That's what I've been urging people to do so that we can get these voices of these wonderful family members out into the public eye or just to put in, if you like the book, what I do is periodically on my Facebook and I'm too dumb to to do Twitter or Instagram at the moment, but so I'll just hold it up and take a picture of myself, have somebody take a picture and then write, this is, this book is fantastic. Please spread the word or this exhibit is put an article or a great review we've gotten. And we also have a social media kit for anybody who is not so wants the technology already done that gives great little, I don't know what they're called, but things that you can just put right onto your social media. Some that mention PFLAG, some that mention the Transgender Law Center that also co-sponsored the book, helped us. And so we just need need to get it out there everywhere to hopefully provide support, love, hope, compassion, and understanding. Hey, Peggy, does is there a cost for hosting the exhibit or like um, a standard nonprofit or donation that is suggested to help folks who might be watching get a feel for, so if a kid is watching, hey, I want to bring it to my school, is there kind of a standard cost or donation? Great question. We are, I think, one of the most unusual nonprofits that exist in that we depend on exhibit rental donations, but we have always said we've never turned, I've never turned down anybody based on finances. So recently I just got $1,500 for one of the private schools, $2,000 from Penn State for showing authentic selves. They were the world premier. $100 from another school. Shipping costs about $300 round trip. So we try to kind of beg, or I do, people to at least cover that. And But then to make the biggest donation possible. And I always say, if there's a listener out here, who, and no joke, who has the million dollars or wants to be one of those big angel donors, then we won't have to charge anybody ever anything. And we can give away 100,000 books. So if anybody's listening to this, who understands what I said when I when I talked about that elementary school showing this exhibit and they had books, everybody had books, all the teachers did, and seeing what can happen and hearing the words of those students from all the different ages talk about how they felt connected to all the people you see or hear today and the others and 35 people, families in the book, that they really got it. All people are created equal, one kid once said. And then he wrote the word remember with a big question mark. Come on, people. And we want to support schools in particular, youth, everybody, because whatever age, but particularly my heart goes to the young, youngest ones who need to have that support around and images and visibility and representation in their schools. So again, the financial thing, somebody booked an exhibit the other day and I just said, you don't have to know what you're going to be able to raise or pay or anything. It's booked, it's in the schedule and do your best because it, the more you give us, the more for 30 years as a nonprofit, we're able to survive. 
right now we're in kind of a financial crunch as an organization. So we're really hoping people will donate a lot as much as possible. As I said, if you have zero, the exhibit will be shipped to you. That's how we do it. Thank you for asking the question, Christian, and and thank you for answering it so thoroughly, Peggy, because I think people will, I think some people listening or watching to this will be interested. And so it's good to know, really good to know that. And we want to support you. We will continue to support you. I've got some thoughts and ideas about where I might be able to pitch it or (laughs) help with that, maybe bringing it to an organization that I am part of. I would love to be able to do that. So we'll continue the conversations. I am going to wrap up the podcast just because we tend to lose people if we go too long, even though we could have done like an hour and a half or more with each of you. So I would love to talk to you all more and we can hang out and talk after if anybody could say, but I know we are going to wrap up the podcast and I know some of you may have to go as well. So I'll wrap up the podcast, say goodbye to our podcast listeners. And we know you love this. I'm sure you loved it as much as we did. So thank you for listening, watching, and please make sure to get the book and think about it hosting an exhibit or bringing an exhibit to an organization that you're part of. And we will see you again next time. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to our Transgender School podcast. We hope you learned something new and that you're inspired to learn more. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And please be sure to check out our website, transgenderschool.org. You'll find many valuable resources there, including news about upcoming courses we'll be teaching. Make sure to join us for future podcast episodes. We'll catch you on the first Tuesday of every month. 